the Black Girl Nerds podcast is having a bit of a change. So listen up. We're no longer going to be a live podcast, at least for now. We're switching things up and making it just a recordable podcast that you can listen in at any time you please. There's a few reasons for doing this, but most importantly, I wanted to try a different angle as well as go down a different path with Black Girl Nerds and see if there's things that we're either missing or gaps that we need to fill with what we've been doing so far. If you've been a longtime listener, then you've probably been listening to our show since March of 2013, which was when we got started. We always went online and tweeted with all of our live listeners as they would listen to the broadcast as it's happening using the hashtag BGM podcast. And you can still use the BGN podcast hashtag and make comments and even ask questions about things that we've talked about on podcasts. But going forward, you're going to listen to it already recorded, edited, mixed, and it will be available on various streams such as SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher Radio. Now, the things that I'm going to change with the Black Girl Nerds podcast is the format. I noticed that when I was doing the 60-minute live podcasts that it didn't really give us much room to do much else. I'd do my announcements, I'd introduce the guests, as well as the co-hosts, and then the guests would have the Q&A with us, and that was pretty much the extent of it. There were a few episodes here and there where it was just us shooting the breeze, talking about random topics. Cartoon Mania was one of them. Our Best Villains podcast was another one. But this time we're doing something different. We're going to break it up into different segments. So one segment will feature maybe an interview. Another segment will have just a random discussion about hot topics. Talk about what's trending on Twitter. Talk about what's happening in the news. Probably be like a soundbite of some sort. Sound bites of clips of things that we don't really usually hear on podcasts. And I haven't quite figured out exactly what that's going to be, but it's something that's going to be quite relevant to what's happening in the geek and nerd subcultures. So just stay tuned. And I appreciate all of the support that you've given us along the way. If it wasn't for you, BGN certainly would not be where it is today. I encourage each and every one of you to support us, not only by spreading the word and subscribing to all of the different channels, but also show your financial support because it's definitely needed. Your financial support actually allows me to have the tools to edit, have the tools to be able to record these podcasts, have the tools to be able to publish and broadcast. So it does go a long way. And you can do that a few ways. First, you can go to blackgirlnerds.com and there's a right sidebar where you click on the donate button under PayPal and you can make your payment there. Or you can purchase blog ads on our website. On blog ads, we allow you to promote your service or your goods, and there's a cart there that will direct you exactly where you need to go. Your help goes a long, long way. So thank you for listening as long as you have, and welcome to new listeners of Black Girl Nerds. We talk about a lot of stuff, and you'll be in for a treat. We have really great guests, we talk about really interesting topics, And most importantly, we really want to just be able to entertain you and be a voice that for so long has been marginalized in this subculture. So thanks so much for tuning in and get ready for the show.
this is our Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens segment. So in this segment, we talked about everything that's related to Star Wars Episode 7 with respect to diversity, to the casting of Lupita Nyong'o as Maz Kanata, to the boycott Star Wars hashtag that got trolled all over Twitter. I decided to bring along two particular Twitter users that are very blunt and frank in their opinions about things that are related to nerd culture. Rebecca Theodore Vachon, who's also known as at filmfatale underscore NYC on Twitter, as well as Ramon Benitez, who is known as The Revolution. So take a listen and enjoy. Welcome to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie Brodnax. I am your host. This segment is about Episode 7, The Force Awakens, the latest Star Wars film that's gotten a lot of of discussion on social media. Um, People have some pretty polarizing opinions about it. And I brought on two folks that I love to converse with on Twitter that are just very blunt and frank with their opinions on all things pop culture and definitely Star Wars. So the guests are Rebecca Theodore Vachon, also known as at film fatale underscore NYC on Twitter. She's a contributor at Forbes with Watch Loud, Roger Ebert and The Vulture, and also a co-host on Cinema and Noir. And we have The Revolution, who's an actor, writer, TV and radio personality, also, a friend of the show, BGM podcast host slash guest. So thank you guys for, for coming on and chatting with us tonight. Thank, thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, all right. Star Wars. Going in on this one. Um, so Star Wars Episode 7 got some recent uh, traction on Twitter. Actually, it seems like it's an everyday thing with this with this movie as little yeah. bits and pieces of information get released uh, but recently, there was some debate that was sparked when a article was ran on Entertainment Weekly about Maz Kanata, played by Lupita Nyong'o. So apparently she was hidden in plain sight all along, and the image that was revealed was exactly what I feared when I saw the character art that was released several months back. Um, so she's looking like this weird alien Yoda creature like Yoda's third cousin once removed or something. (laughs) Um, So, and there seems to be a divide amongst fans about this role. Some support it and they're just like, well, if Lupita Nyong'o was cool with it, then it's got to be a great role. Right. Mm -hmm. And then other folks are just like, why do we once again have to erase another black woman and woman of color in science fiction fantasy. We've seen mm-hmm. that before. They're erasing her with a character that looks, as Rebecca said on Twitter, a fugly alien. <laughs> so, Re- Rebecca, I'm going to go to you first on this. What are your thoughts about Lapita's role and just the response overall on social media? Um, yeah, this has been a really, I've been really torn over this topic because I am a huge fan of Lupita Nyong'o. I'm a stan. I'm just confessing it right there. And so um, her performance in 12 Years of Slave was just amazing, and she deserved every award that she won. Um, unfortunately, what happened was 
you know, during the during the awards race, usually actresses in that space that Lupita has, you'll hear them coming up with like two, three, four roles, you know, coming in a row. And it was kind of like crickets. And it was maybe like six or seven months after the um, she won the award that we heard that she was cast in Star Wars. We didn't really know what the character um, was going to be. And then um, I think, Jamie, you and I were talking this summer when we saw the first concept art mm-hmm. drop. And I felt like <laughs> stabbed in the heart like a million times. I was like, really? This is where we want to go with Lupita, an Oscar winner, a CGI generated character. And why did they give her that head wrap where she looked like Aunt Jemima? <laughs> That's that what. Was horrible. <laughs> like, it was horrible. What were they thinking? I don't, I don't know. And I think the thing, I think here's the thing. People, I understand there are people who are fans of Star Wars, but it's really hard to have a logical debate with people who are fans, or I should say stands of Star Wars, where they don't understand the reason why people are upset about um, or have legitimate critiques about Lapita's role in Star Wars is nothing against Lapita herself because she is an actress right. and she needs work. It's the fact that no one, no one can deny that there has never been any leading main women, at least leading characters in the Star Wars franchise. Right. The first movie came out in 1977. So we're talking about a 38 year franchise. None of these movies have ever had women of color in the lead. Right. Ever. Ever. Not black, not Asian, not Latina, not Native American. And it, it is a form of erasure to me because I feel like having someone as prominent as Lupita and adding her to the franchise, we do need to see that representation. And this is not a, a, a critique of the character. I'm sure Matt's Kanata, you know, has a prominent role. I, I hear that she's the, the character is supposed to be like the Yoda of this franchise of this iteration of the franchise and that's all well and good and i'm sure she'll do the damn thing with her cgi performance that being said i'm just really sick of star wars having this highlander there can only be one mentality when it comes to people of color right all we have right now is john boyega that's it (laughs) that is the only black person that we have and if you look at the, the the franchise's history they have done this before the first Episodes one through six, uh, I should say one, two, one through three was um, uh, Lando Calrissian. And then we had Mace Windu with Samuel Jackson. Right. And now we have John Boyega. So it's always black man, black man, black man. But it's like, OK, but, do, you know, these characters and again, these characters, we didn't know if they had wives or they have daughters. So even within the space of Star Wars, these black characters were sort of ciphers in a way. Mm. Right. Where they were there to serve the purpose of the white characters. So I just feel that, you know, okay, I wouldn't have had so much beef with Lupita being a CGI character if they had cast other actresses of color as well. Like, okay, you want to make Lupita, but could you have put, I don't know, Sanaa Lathan or some, you know, or Angela Bassett? Like, it, I just am really sick of this tokenism. And I think that's the discussion that we need to be having is tokenism versus diversity, Right. To mm-hmm. me, those two different things. Tokenism mm-hmm. is when you throw one is when you put a spot of chocolate in a whole vat of milk right. and you're like, oh, it's you know, it's diverse. <laughs> no, it's not. You know what I mean? Diversity. And I think Ava DuVernay just did a um, interview, um, I think, a couple of days ago. And she said something that really struck me where she was like, diversity is not when you're the only one in the room. Diversity is when we take up half the room. 
Mm. I totally agree with that. And I just feel that in 2015, Star Wars should be doing better than this. I just feel like, you know, because of course people try to placate you and they're like, well, I mean, I hear, you know, Google and Batha Ra is supposed to be in the next Star Wars movie. There's rumors that Gina Rodriguez from um, uh, Jane the Virgin is being um, is being vetted for a role. Hmm. But I feel like the progress is not fast enough. I mean, I just feel like in 2015, we should we should not be having this discussion. It, it it just it still looks super white to me. There's lots of representation of white women in this movie. There's lots of representation of white men, which is why you know yes, Andy Serkis is playing a CGI character, but his whiteness and his maleness is well represented. Mm. That's all I'm saying. I just feel that as far as women of color, Star Wars is a fail. Fail, 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 fail. And they should be doing better than this. And that's why, like I tweeted yesterday, that's why I'm Team, I'm team Star Trek, because at least black women make it to the future. That's uh-huh. true. That's true. So diverse compared to Star Wars. What, what are your uh-huh. thoughts about this, Ramon? Okay. I want to piggyback. First and foremost, I want everyone that's listening, uh, Jamie, everyone that may, they know about it on your end, may, not on my end, but you and I have gone so hard for Lapita in every role. Yes. And every franchise <laughs> coming up, like we were like, Lapita, put Lapita in it, Lapita, Lapita, you know. So w- we were very excited to hear that she got this role, right? But I want to go back to the exact same thing Rebecca mentioned, right? Let's really talk about the 20th century, the, the latter part of 20th century science fiction, television film franchises, right? You have two names. You have Lucas and you have Roddenberry. Roddenberry went into his create his creation saying, I want to create a world that shows diversity, that shows that we all live together in harmony and we're all equal. Like he, he went into it thinking that. Right. Yeah. And he created Star Trek. Lucas, however, it was an afterthought. He, he was not thinking about it like at all. At no point did he think about this, so much so that Rebecca had mentioned about Lando. People may or may not know this. They forced him to make Lando black. Lando was going to be a white guy. Yeah. Wow. Lando was going to be white. He got so much criticism about this, his vision. And there were, you know, like a lot of comedians said that day, ain't no niggas in outer space. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, it's real sad that, you know, we... We had to see this big scale production revitalize something that a large mass of people love, which is the sci-fi genre. And we've been watching since the 60s of Lieutenant Ahur as an equal, uh, an officer aboard a ship with aliens, Russians, the Scots, uh, a U.S. uh, citizen, all of us working together to create uh, this galactic armada, if you will, and then we get to a galaxy far, far away, and race is still an issue. It's it's still an issue. And for Lucas, you know, like, I get tired of everyone standing for Lucas. Oh, he's married to a black woman. Yeah, I hate that. That's <laughs> the, listen, that is the worst argument you can make, yes. okay? The, the worst argument you can make for him. He For someone have to be told, to put Billy D. Williams, the biggest box office draw for, for black America. And, hey, man, you need to put Billy D. in your movies, man. Oh, really? Yeah, man. Put Billy D. in the movie. And then you got <laughs> you to put Billy D. Williams in the film. Mm-hmm. And so when you fast forward that, you know, you two made the exact same points, right? 
It's 2015. Why are we still making this argument? They have more aliens. This is what's sad. You talk about black this face that uh, Latina Asian. Hey, there are more aliens. There have been more aliens on screen than actual people of color. That that's kind of scary. Like if you have all these humanoids that live on these various planets and you still you're still putting white people there. It's, you know, it's, I, I don't know. It's, it's a slap in the face and it hurts. And like Rebecca said, I, I've always shipped uh, more Star Trek. I love Star Wars, especially when I was a child growing up. I thought Star Wars, it was fantastic, literally. The, the, one of the best fantasy stories I'd ever seen in my life. Um, I loved it when I got a little older and when you become self-aware, when you're going to school, you're going someplace and somebody says, look at that little nigger boy. And you go, wait, what? And you have to become aware of who and what you are. Mm. And then you have to start looking at everything around you. And for me, Jamie, it happened being a little kid when I'm playing with Star Wars action figures. I'm not making this up. And with my friends. And they said, no, no, no. You can't be Han or Luke. You have to be Lando. Wow. Mm. wow. You, you, no, 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 no. You have to be Lando. Right. Or if you or if you decide to be Han or Luke, you're the black Han or the black Luke. Oh, yeah. I wish I knew who these kids were. That, <laughs> But that's what a lot of black cosplayers get when they cosplay oh, yeah. as white characters, which oh, that's yeah, another issue. Black Han. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, yeah. It's, you know, it's Star Wars has never, never been inclusive. Never. And I said this on Twitter that honestly... John, okay, I was okay with him being there, but he's such a flavor of the month right now. Mm. Like, I do not want to, you know, split hairs about this. Lupita mm -hmm. uh, acts circles around what she did, like you said, Rebecca, mm -hmm. what she did in 12 Years a Slave and what he did on Attack the Block. That, like, Come on, let, listen, listen. Let's not, let's not do this here. Let's not talk about whose chops are better, okay? Right. This this woman deserves every bit of recognition that she gets from this industry. Right. And and they should fall over hands and feet to give a woman that looks like her and who and what she represents roles because she can do it. If Angelina Jolie can get salt, which was originally a white male, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If she can become a white woman hero if she can take a role that was traditionally a black woman and wanted. And, and, and she also played a black woman as Daniel Pearl's wife. Yeah. <laughs> so she, uh -oh. That's a whole other discussion about the whitewashing that has been happening in Hollywood, which is absolutely ridiculous. It's, uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. And, and you go Ripley was originally a man, a man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. a man. So it's like, I don't want to hear this. Like, you know, Paul Mooney has a great bit about white people being victims when they want to be. They can do whatever they want to do until they don't want to do something. Mm. And it's like, oh, I'm sorry, it's out of our control. Oh, I'm sorry, it's, it's out of our hands. Really? Right. Is yeah. it really out of your hands? So I don't know. Like, So when you get to the point about the CGI, you know, like you and I talked about on Twitter, mm -hmm. it bothered me to even have her as a CGI character yeah. when all we've heard about was all the practical effects and the practical effects. So I thought like, ooh, we get to see Lupita in space. You know, yep. I, th that's all I cared about. And I just, I, I want to see that. And then 
you know, the CGI, it fell real flat for me. You know, I'm not saying I don't care for the film in, 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 in its entirety, but I'm very disappointed. I mean, I, I'm really excited for uh, episode seven. I, I really feel like it's going to blow it out of the water and that it's going to probably be a lot better than what we saw from Lucas's films. But um, as far as people's argument regarding the fact that she took on this role and that's why it's going to be a sufficient character, I think that that's a really ridiculous argument because, like, look, if J.J. Abrams was to call me up tomorrow and be like, hey, I want you to be in the next Star Wars movie. I want you to play an elephant's ass. I would be like, <laughs> hell yes. Yes. <laughs> I would be researching elephant's butts on the Internet. I would have a selfie and go to the zoo, take pictures with the elephant's ass next to me, do a whole method situation. Like, oh. I think that this argument that somehow or another that she took the role because I mean she took the role of a slave I, I just feel like that that's not a strong argument to make when it comes to Maz Kanata I, I think that this character potentially could be an iconic er, uh, character since they are um, I thought it was speculation but apparently it's been confirmed that it's supposed to be like a Yoda like character um, I have concerns that that could fall into a, a magical Negro trope at some point or another, but maybe yep. not. I, I, I don't know. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it just feels like it was wasted to have Lupita's face and regal appearance removed um, and have it completely CGI'd when she could have been this badass Sith, which is what I wanted, um, or an awesome Jedi, and that we could finally see a black woman in one of the most iconic films of our generation of all time, really mm-hmm. in this role and be a, a mentor, be a, you know, an iconic inspiration to young black girls growing up saying, Oh my gosh, I can be a hero too. Like, I just feel like that was such a wasted opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I agree with you, Jamie, because again, I, I keep saying this, representation matters, representation matters, representation matters, okay? Because when you, on opening that, whenever you take your kids to go see Star Wars, right? When they see the Maz Kanata character, the the average eight or nine-year-old is not going to know that there is a black woman behind that character. Right. You know what I mean? They're just, again, they're just going to see the voice, They'll hear the voice, they'll see the character, but they're not going to see little black girls are not going to see girl are not going to see their skin color. They're not going to see their hair. They're not going to see their bodies. You know what I mean? And I I just find it fascinating that the people who are dismissing, because I think the the most vocal, um, you know, critics of this are women of color and black women have really come out strong yes. on Twitter and social media saying this is not right. And I think what irks me is that, you know, the white dude bros, I already know what they think. You know, I have a, a contingent of them. I know what they think. I think what hurt me and what was most disappointing to me was seeing black fans, black male fans of yes. stars going into people's timeline and marginalizing our concerns saying, oh, well, you shouldn't take it personally. And, you know, what, well, you know, again, like you said, Jamie, well, if she didn't want the role, she wouldn't take it. Two different things, two right. different things. You know, it's a business. There's a reason why they call it show business. And like you said, nobody's going to turn down J.J. Abrams, right? Because she's going to use that as a platform to, you know, potentially get it's the more biggest popular. film of our of our time of the yeah. century. Who's going to turn down Star Wars at any capacity? Yeah. But, I, but what I noticed is that the people that are telling us 
right? And black male fans who support us as well in this critique, I find it that the people who are represented in Star Wars are the ones that don't have a problem with it. Mm. The white guys are going to be represented. You're good. The white women are going to be represented. You're good. Oh, the black guys, you're represented by John Boyega. You have no problem with that. You know what I'm saying? And so to me, I just feel that, again, while, yes, we are the black community, I am a black woman. I am not the same as John Boyega. John Boyega and I, the only thing that we share in color in common is our skin tone. Right. Right. And we may have some shared experiences, but my experiences as a black woman and John Boyega's experiences as a black man are totally different. And I, it really bothers me where we're thrown under this, where people of color are just thrown in this um, umbrella, under this umbrella where, you know, there's not a difference between black men and black women. You know what I mean? There's not a difference between Asian men and Asian women. They just see the color and they don't look at the gender, you know, or your sexual orientation. They just see you as one big blob. Mm. It's one collective. And I have a problem with that. You know what I mean? So, you know, I I tweeted out yesterday. I found um, an article where um, Nichelle Nichols shared the story that when she was in Star Trek, I think it was maybe after the first or second season, she was thinking about dropping out of the show because she had gotten an offer to... Broadway play and Martin Luther King Jr. went to her dressing room and was like, you cannot let go of this role. You do not understand how important your representation is when people turn on that TV every week and see you there on the plan sitting right to the left of the captain. We need to see that. Yes. You know what I mean? And that was told to her in what, 1960 something. I started watching Star uh, Star Trek uh, reruns like in the 80s with my mom, right? Grew up in Brooklyn. We'd stay up till like 12, 1 o'clock in the morning during the summertime. And I know for me, as a little black girl in Brooklyn, seeing Nichelle Nichols on the TV every night, of course, that changes your perception of who you are. It totally changes your perception because you find your space in the world. When you are not represented in media, you are shut out. You know what I mean? So it's very easy for the people that are represented in media to say that it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter to you because you get your representation. So you're good. You know what I mean? So I would just say to the black male fans of Star Wars, you know, going in people's mentions and just kind of, you know, um, just basically dismissing our concerns. You can disagree with me. That's fine. You could say, hey, I don't agree with it. But just to say, well, you guys are, are, are blowing it up out of proportion. You guys are being overly sensitive. Mm. You know what I mean? I was like, I'm not buying that. Nope. (laughs) Listen, the little crumbs that you're throwing at me, I'm not going for that anymore. I want the whole damn cake. I mean, I had said it on Twitter. Those are coded words for dismissing marginalized voices. And I think that you're absolutely right. I'm, I'm curious to know this. If John Boyega was the one that was CGI'd instead of Lapita, would this be a different conversation? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's oh, a yeah. great question. Yep. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Well, it hmm. Okay, so let's okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Is is has Lupita's role changed or is she herself CGI proposing? Oh, in this scenario, let's just put John Boyega as the role of Maz and then let's put Lupita as the role as Finn. But a nope. female version of Finn. Nope. 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 I don't I don't think so. I don't you and I'm not speaking now, mind you. I, you know, I'm not that voice, ladies. <laughs> and I'm not just saying this because I'm, you know, doing a BGN podcast with you all, but I'm not that voice. Um, I, I said it as soon as he came out. I just didn't think he was ready for this this spot. You know what I mean? But it's like, 
the the as it goes, my mom is the one. I have a strong mother. You know what I mean? A very strong mother. And I had a great dad who would paint my action figures black because he's like, I'm tired of all these white men in my house, even the damn toys. And you know, <laughs> I love it. And I was, you know, I didn't really get it till I got older. Like, what are you saying? That what we were watching on television and, you know, and like just worshiping that representation, like you're saying. But my mom, my mom is always saying, listen, it's okay that you all think that Barack Obama, he's going to always, there's going to always be a black man that's going to open the door first and then I have to get seconds. Mm. You know, mm. I have to follow in after him. And I was like, damn, like, you know what I mean? Wow. She was like, so we can always talk about feminism. We can always talk about the black struggle, but, you know, it's always going to be better for a black man than it is going to be for a black woman or any woman. And black and I, men need to recognize that they have privilege. Oh, absolutely. Listen, they don't absolutely. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I thought of this the other day, all jokes aside, like that is a very, very serious thing that you're talking about. And like, can I say this on a social point? I just said this today at breakfast, not the other day. And I sat there. I'm not making this up. I'm sitting there and I was thinking about this discussion that we're getting ready to have today, Jamie. Right. And then I honestly thought about it and I said, you know what? I don't have to be in fear of rape. Mm. I don't have to live in fear of not getting the wage mm. or even the job or career that I want. I said that I don't have to have the fear of someone judging me based off of my name or the hairstyle that I, you know, like I was like, there is a lot of male, you know, because I cut my hair off years ago, right? So we, we, we can get rid of that, right? But a, a, a woman's glory is her hair, you know what I mean? And however you want to style it is however you want to style it. And there's so many exceptions to the rule for me, right? That I just have to deal with some, you know, swooped over two paid blonde jag off, you know, with his lips pushed together. And he says, we're going to build a wall and we're going to do this. And we're going to keep the Latinos out and black people need to just be quiet and you're fired. You know, like I got to deal with a motherfucker like that. I don't really have to deal with somebody that looks just like you, you know, trying to push up on you and can't take no for an answer or bullies you on social media because you just want to have a female. Like I've seen it. I've seen it. And it's listen, it fucking blows. You know what I mean? Like it's and, and and I tell people all day long. I have I have sisters. I have a twin sister, okay. And I'd be damned when we were little. I'd be I'd be damned if a dude even said a harsh word to her. You understand what I'm saying? So I I took that I took this this theme of really being serious about my mom, my sisters, uh, my own daughter, my my cousins, and saying, listen, you all are an extension of that. You know, I make jokes, I do stuff, but I never go after, you know, women like that. There are people on there who who say this and that, and I've watched them on Twitter. The same black men that are talking about, oh, black women, I'm this and that, and let some black woman disagree with them, and all of a sudden, magically, magical Negro-ishly, yep. these niggas will be like, oh, fuck you, bitch! You're <laughs> like, whoa! Are and you, you are not exaggerating, Ramon. You are not exaggerating because that has totally happened to me. People that I've been following for years 
all of a sudden just changed, especially when that whole Ava DuVernay situation went down with Black Panther. Oh my gosh. I mean, there was people that, and I'm not, I can't say any names, but there were people who were like friends, colleagues of mine that were, had opinions about Ava as a director and was scrutinizing her compared to any other director. Yeah. And, and I just was like, wow, this is very interesting that you're, you know, criticizing her in this way. I, I didn't know that you felt that she was inadequate as a filmmaker, you know, all of a sudden. But when the conversation was brought up about other male directors and even recently Ryan Coogler's name was thrown out there as being pegged um, to direct Black Panther and he's only got two films under his belt. Right. Crickets. Yeah. I didn't hear anything. I didn't hear anybody go, oh, well, Ryan's not qualified because he's only done two movies and what does he know about comic books? And, but meanwhile, Ava, she doesn't know anything about comics. She's not a geek. Like I saw somebody on Twitter saying that she's not a geek and that's why she's not qualified. What the? Yeah. Like really? That's ridiculous because let's look, if we look at the roster of Marvel's directors, okay. If we're talking about the big screen adaptations, um, not a lot of them read the comic books. Brian Singer. Okay, let's look at the X-Men. Franchise. Oh, Lord. Brian let's Singer. bring up Brian Singer. Brian Read him for filth. Record. Yes, it's not Marvel, but it is a Marvel property. But I'm just saying that he's gone on record saying that he did not read comic books. Yep. You know, he went to, you know, some highfalutin boarding school and he was like, I really didn't read that. And I always have to remind people that you don't necessarily have to be a comic book nerd to direct the movie. You just need the only two things that I require of you is that you are that you understand the material, that you do your research on the character and that you're a damn good director. Those are the two things. You know what I mean? Because when you look at Christopher Nolan, Christopher Nolan openly admits that he did not read Batman comic books um, as much. You know what I mean? But when he got the franchise, I mean, in a way, listen, the dude revolutionized comic book movies. Okay. Marvel is getting all the shine now, but I'm just saying that there's movies before the dark Knight, before Batman begins. And then there's comic books after Batman begins. Yeah. And people people need to understand too, like these people that criticize this stuff on Twitter, you know, they don't really know how the film business works and what the role of a director is because in many cases, you know, there are the technical directors that handle um, all of the cinematography and the lighting and the, Uh, technical aspects of filmmaking but for the most part directors direct the actors their sole responsibility is to make sure that the actor delivers the best performance possible that they make sure that they're blocking properly that they're delivering their lot their lines properly like the fact that they don't know the full context and the full universe of the x-men universe or the avengers universe means absolutely nothing because that job is the job of the writer the writer is responsible for that. And even the producers, you know, uh, insight into the creative aspect of it. But really, the director is focusing on the actors. So to say that a director doesn't know anything about comic books, therefore they're not qualified. Well, that's not entirely true, people. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I'm yeah. so glad. I, I don't know about you, Rebecca. I don't know your background. Right. I know that you, you film blog and you're a writer. I know Jamie's background. I know her education. I know mine. So I'm guessing you're... One and the same, and I get t- I stopped. I had to stop talking about film with people. Like you don't know what you're talking. Shut up. <laughs> Shut for up. real. They These don't. These guys are glorified. They, listen, listen. Yeah. These dudes are are reading off lines, and they're making like you said, man, getting the right light. The framing is correct. I mean, 
my brother and I are, have argued this, and he's in the industry too. For, since we were kids, who makes the film? Is it the director? Is it the writer? Is it the editor? Mm-hmm. Or is it, is it the cinematographer? And, you know, so... The, it's a team. It, it it's takes a team, team to make a movie. It's not it's just the director. <laughs> and it's it's so funny because, like, so let me ask you ladies this question real quick. What's the best Star Wars movie today that you have? What's the best Star Wars movie of the six films? Empire what's Strikes the, Back. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, so Strikes Back. So let's talk about uh, Irving, right? Mm-hmm. Irving Kirshner, right? He directed this film, right? What was his qualifications to direct the second, the follow-up to this 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 franchise, this storied film. What was his what was his science fiction credit before that? Mm-hmm. I have no idea. None. <laughs> None. Let, me, let me guess. He's a white guy. <laughs> Come on. His big. Th- he was a television director. He directed a lot of television shows. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you because, I mean, this is the discussion that we've been having, you know, as far as, um, you know, the directors that are helming, like, these multi-million dollar, um, you know, comic book movies. If you look at, like, if you go to their IMD page, you need, like, a dang microscope just to read their credits. Mm. You know what I mean? Not a lot of them have that much experience, but... You know, I wrote a, a piece about Colin Trevorrow, um, the guy who directed Jurassic World, right? One of the top grossing movies in the world or whatever. The only, He only had, if you go to Colin Trevorrow's IMDb page, couple of credits. He did a, a movie that, you know, that debuted at Sundance, The Safety Not Guaranteed, which actually was the same year. Here's the irony. The same year that Ava DuVernay was at Sundance. The same year. Mm. Ava won Best Director. Right. Made history. Who's the one who ended up with the multimillion dollar franchise? It wasn't it, it wasn't her. You wow. Know I mean? Because he he de- debuted his movie. And then and this is from Colin Trevorrow's mouth himself. OK, he was like, um, I got, you know, J.J. Abrams. I think it was J.J. Abrams or whoever. Somehow he got in contact with Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg saw the movie and was like, hey, you know what? I saw I saw I saw a lot of myself in Colin. I saw a lot of myself in Colin. And he offered him Jurassic World because Steven was like, I'm too busy. I just don't have time to do Jurassic World. He offered him the, the, the movie. This is a movie that had like a hundred fifty million dollar budget. Okay, and Colin Trevorrow has gone on record himself saying that he had zero experience. He was like, when I walked into this project, I didn't know that much about, you know, whatever. But Steven Spielberg was on set every day and mentored him. If he had questions, he asked, you know, as far as like the first Mm. day, the stunts, everything. He Mm. was he was spoon fed through that process. And he said himself, he was like, by the time I was done with Jurassic World, I now have a PhD in, you know, CGI and doing these big budget movies. And what did they hand him after Jurassic World? He's doing like episode 10. Is it nine or 10? This, this is the way it works, you know? So this, but going back to Ava, that's why I thought that that whole discussion about Ava potentially directing Black Panther, it was ludicrous to me. I was like, you guys know that she's an Oscar nominated director, right? I mean, Summer was like the highest critic, critically rated movie of 19, of 2014. I think it like 100%. On Rotten Tomatoes, and, and none of the movies, mind you, none of the other nine movies that were up for a nomination or for Best Picture, even Birdman didn't get that. Although mm. Birdman won, right? right? Birdman probably had like a seventy or eighty percent. I, I mean, you know, it was okay. I saw Birdman. I was like, it was nothing to write home about. You know what I mean? But they just looked at Ava. But then for you to just say that Ava's not qualified to do Black Panther is ridiculous to me because 
you just did a movie about Martin Luther King Jr. I don't know how much more prepared you can be. You know what I mean? Because Martin Luther King Jr. is our royalty. So for her to direct a movie on the King of Wakanda, not Hello. a big leap. It wasn't a big leap to me. It know? wasn't a big leap. And there's a lot of issues of racial oppression and racial injustice in the Black Panther comics. And I don't understand why people couldn't correlate the two when they were arguing against Ava DuVernay. But then again, patriarchy. So, oh, that's, like, that's what it to is. To go back to that is like when you talk about microcosmic looking at people's careers, James Gunn always comes to mind. Mm-hmm. I, I was like, who the fuck is James Gunn? Like, yep. <laughs> for, real. Like, for real. And this dude has a the biggest, you know, blockbuster behind Iron Man 3 and Avengers. You know what I mean? Like with yeah. the unknown property. And I think, Jamie, you and I talked about this. And listen, we're talking about the machine has both properties. Marvel and Star Wars. All you have to do is show up. Either one of us can go in here and get our names attached to it, show up, and direct these films, and they will be hits. They're not going to let these films fail. We Like, we talk about movies, right? Yes. There, there are one, two, three, sometimes four different units. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's so true. Four different directors. Like we're talking. Yep. The direct- I worked like- on Spider-Man three. This is accurate. There's different units that handle different scenes. Like there was an action unit for all of the car scenes in Spider-Man three, which is what I yeah. worked on. So right. yeah, and that's how film works. There's different units for each of the films with different directors. Yes, and it's like the and a lot of those guys when you find out that they were first second unit directors. And you're like, where do they come from? And you're like, oh, that's where they came from. Yep. Because like you said, Rebecca, that they worked under someone, they knew someone. I mean, like, what's right. the, you know, what's Brett Retner, right? This guy went from directing Wu-Tang videos. <sighs> <laughs> Jamie in the side. <laughs> come on, you know what I mean? Like, and it's like, to, to. Have issues with Brett Retner, so that's why. Oh, who are you telling? Like, but you know, let's. You know, I don't want to get. I'm not even ready to get. I know that, that. That's like a whole other show. Just a that's show a whole other. <laughs> <laughs> but it's we're, we're we're not talking rocket science, people. We're talking dumb ass popcorn movies. Like if this woman can hold down the 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 tone and get these performances out of every single one of those actors and actresses, you telling me she couldn't go on set and do Black Panther? You know what I mean? So it's like, it's it's sad. It's really sad. And again, I just feel very bad Mm -hmm. for the state of our people that we're still like, oh, no, it's okay. Like that the the black dudes and they don't want to talk about it, don't really get that they have ascended to, you know, a second class bro status. Yep. You know what I mean? And if you have a black nerd platform and then you're putting down Ava DuVernay because you don't think that she's qualified for Black Panther, shame on you. Because I I, I really feel... Because, you know, we we saw it, Rebecca. But, you know... you have a platform where you are exposing your content to so many different people and white people are reading your content too. And to feed into the fact that Ava DuVernay is not qualified because of X, X and X, you are part of the systemic problem that is happening in Hollywood. And like all we've been discussing throughout this segment, listen, Marvel is not going to have a film to fail. As you just said, Ramon, there is going to be a formula in place And all the director has to do is show up. 
And that's why I think Ava probably decided to say no because she wanted some more creative control yep. over T'Challa's story. Yep. And Kevin Feige was like, fuck that. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. Uh, right. See you later. Bye kind of situation. Because Marvel already has it in place what they want to do. They have these plan. They have these films planned out years in advance. They know what they're doing. So the director is just there to get their paycheck, direct the actors, because that's what directors mm-hmm. are supposed to do. Yep. And that's it. Clock out at the end of the day. It's not about them having creative control over a story, over a Marvel product. It's just about them being there, and that's it. And they get their name on an IMDb credit, and then they're able to go on to the next film. Absolutely. You're talking... We're talking about the guys, the directors, directors, the people that we go, wow. Like, like, let's see, the Tarantinos, the the Kevin Smiths, the Spike Lees, the, you know, these people who write, produce, direct. I'm talking, they're editing. They're in every stage of this film. That's not these guys. These guys, like, you, you know, Star Wars is now, how much did they pay Lucas? How much did Disney pay for these rights? It was oh, in it was oh, in the billions, know. right? Was it like four billion? Something like that. Yeah, because they bought like Lucasfilm. That. Yeah, because yeah. he bought Lucasfilm. It was right. They bought Lucas Lucasfilm outright. And I, I'm going to say this, okay? I just bought um, Star Wars Shattered Empire um, first four issues, right, from Marvel. And everything of merchandise is out there. Listen, I guarantee you, they're almost there to that four billion dollars made. You know, and this film is going to open. I'm I'm saying it on BGN. Jamie, I'm going to say when it opens, when does it open? A Thursday? Thursday night? Or is it Thursday night? Thursday night, and there's so many places that have 24-hour showings of it. Um, It's going to make about $35 million that first night. And Friday, when when they go Friday, Saturday, Sunday... I think cumulatively it's going to register at about I'm I'm going to go out and say this. I want it to be on record that I said Star Wars is going to come in hot at a, at about 270 to $278, $278 million first weekend plus the $30 million, $35 million. It's going to be over $300 million total in four days. Guarantee it. And I and I think it. and I think because because of the fact that this is like you guys said this is really not even arguably this is the biggest movie of 2015. There's no movie that's going to be as big as opening up as Star Wars. And I think because you have such a huge platform, that's why diversity is so important. That's why you're going to have so many different people going to see this movie, and you're just going to represent. You know, you're basically presenting. The same template. The the template of The Force Awakens really isn't that different from the other previous six movies, right? Majority white people, one token black guy, right? And um, you have a black woman, but you've hidden her under CGI. And now we have a Latino actor in there with with um, Oscar Isaac, who I don't know. How, I don't know how Oscar Isaac self-identifies. I don't know if he identifies as white. I think he's um, Guatemalan. He's Guatemalan? Okay. So, so that's, he's white. Yeah. Uh-uh. <laughs> okay, so because it's what Oscar Isaac has done, he usually, you know, he can he can basically race bend if he wants. He can play Latino, he can play white, yes. he can play Jewish or whatever. That's true. So, 
the, the template of what we're being presented with in Force Awakens is really not that different. And that's what irritates me so much is the fact that you have a movie that's that big, that huge, and the diversity is like a C minus. Like it, you haven't really pushed the needle as far as I'm concerned. Yes, it is different in the fact that now the story is going to be told from the point of view. Like we basically have a female Luke Skywalker in Daisy Riddler's character, right? It seems right. like right, the, the story will be told through the lens of a woman. But again, it's a white woman. <laughs> so yes, woman, because you put a check next to that. Okay, fine. So I'll give you some points for that. But as far as people of color, the representation really isn't that different to me. And I just, again, it's like at this time, at this time, in, in in our lifetimes, I just feel like you guys should be doing way more. And I'm just really tired of people coming up in my mentions talking about, oh, well, I mean, it, you know, well, they're 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 potentially going to cast so and so. I mean, it's gonna get better. No, it's not better. It's not. Like we're talking <laughs> so many about Star Wars stands. Yeah, we're still talking about the same crap. Like yeah, you know, it should be there now. It, it should, should be there now. It yeah. should be there now. I, I plan on taking my nephews to go to the thing. And as important as my nephews. As important as it is for my nephews to see John Boyega, it should also be important for them to see women of color. They should see yes. women. They should see Asian women. And and I just feel that we really need to take J.J. Abrams to task for this. It's like, come on, bro. Like, how do you look at somebody as beautiful and stunning as Lupita and think, hey, you know what? I've got this little trollish little character, and I was thinking that you were just the person to do it. No! Like, exactly. give that shit to somebody else. Yeah. You know and you I mean? know, I want to say, let me, I, please let me piggyback on this. Because okay. here's the thing, right? Right. That, um, what's his name? Jabba the Hutt was originally a guy, a human. Oh, he was a humanoid, right? And and they changed it. He wanted to change it. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to make him what he what he had envisioned. So here's the thing, right? Again, that scared little bunny rabbit who can't do anything when they're backed into a corner. Here's the thing. You guys could have conceptualized this alien, but then once you cast, like, wait a minute, guys, like, hey, we got Lupita here. Like, maybe let's change her eyes or let's give her, you know, three fingers or something, but let's you know, like let's do let's let's really let her shine through here. They mm-hmm. could have changed it. It's an excuse. I don't want to hear it. I, I I really don't care. And it's it's funny. Even Star Trek, right? My my aunt used to always make this joke, right? And she used to say, "Niggas cannot catch a break in outer space in the future." She was like, "You got, <laughs> you got one nigga who who's a uh, an alien." With a turtle shell for a head, and then oh. you got a, another nigga with an S curl, and he's crippled. Wow, that's <laughs> so true. And he can't get a girlfriend with a banana clip on his face. Oh. I listen when you when you look at that, when you look at that, you go, damn. Like I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's funny how we just can't be in this in this space and time as ourselves. Like right. the, the woman. Should have been listen. If and it's science started, fiction fantasy. Like you're making all of this up, so it shouldn't be that hard. That that's the point. That's the point. It's not based on real life events where you're like, okay, well, this person is actually white, so that's why we have to cast them as white. Like, no, you don't. That's the point. That's the point. And Jamie, I, I sat at breakfast, and that was something I came in. Thank God that you said this, and I want to I want to repeat that and 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 reinforce it if I may. Mm-hmm. You know what, Jamie? You know, Rebecca, you know, BGN listeners, fantasy 
is something for us to aspire to. Mm. It's for us to look at and to dream and say, oh, my God, I want to live in that world. And if we cannot go, oh, my God, I want to live in a world of total inclusion where everyone is important, everyone is badass, every like, how can you get there if you don't let, let's just be clear, if you don't let white people see this and let them go, because oh, you know what, guess what, black girls, and I'm not, please don't take me as minimized, but you know what, you guys are always going to kick ass, you guys are always going to make inroads, you guys are going to be fucking phenomenal until this goddamn marble stops spinning. Okay, because you are you were born and bred to be fucking awesome, period. Right. It's these white people that have to go. Oh, my God. So you guys aren't just mammies. Oh, my God. You aren't just dancers. Oh, my like, oh, you can be powerful. Like they have to see what we are capable of in this realm. That's why science fiction is important. That is why it's important to cast these people there. Right. And so you have to create that space. And but I think that there are actually people, whether they're sci fi writers or directors or the studios that create these um, sci fi franchises, franchises or movies. I personally think that some of them, the erasure of people of color is um, is purposeful. I think they're low key. Well, maybe not low key. They're just straight out telling us that we want a future where you people are not here anymore. You know or I mean? in the past, like uh, the gods past. of Egypt. Exactly. There you go. You know what I mean? So we can't be in the past. We can't be in the present. We can't be in the future. They just yep. want to get rid of us. You know, and, and I've seen science fiction movies that I've seen science fiction movies, you know, the 50s, 60s, science, where it's totally white. It's like this white utopia as in somehow, you know, black people, all black people woke up with the flu and just dropped dead. You know what I mean? And I just find that kind of science fiction very problematic. You know what I mean? Yeah. And let, and not only people of color, let's talk about how we watch sci-fi movies and we don't see gay people. We don't see transgender mm, people. We right. don't see differently abled people. You know what I mean? So when you create these worlds where there's not inclusion, what you're really saying is, I want my world to look like this. I don't want people of color. I don't want trans people. I don't want gay people. Because for me, for you to have a sci-fi movie and not have people that are sexually fluid... Right. Either in their sexual preferences or their identities is ridiculous. Yep. Right. Because we just got the, the you know the Supreme Court just passed a rule where gay marriage is legal now. So for you to make a movie in, that's two hundred years in the future and everybody is straight is just ridiculous. I one hundred percent agree. What are your thoughts about the boycott Star Wars hashtag that was created? Um, it was created by. Apparently, at first, I thought it was created by a group of just angry white nerds because that's what Twitter is comprised um, mostly of, I've noticed, um, since being on this platform. But um, apparently, it was just two guys that decided to troll the Internet and did it very effectively to the point where J.J. Abrams himself um, had a comment in response to the boycott Star Wars hashtag. So what, what are your thoughts about uh, the douchebaggery behind that hashtag that happened? Um, to be honest with you, I really thought, like, I went online and I was like, wait, boycott Star Wars? Wait, what? <laughs> um, I just thought it was just really weird. Um, but, yeah, I mean, once we found out it was from 4chan, I think, I think the thing is, like, being on social media or being on Twitter, I am realizing that 
the black black Twitter is so influential and so powerful yeah. that mm-hmm. sometimes we have to see things and like take it with a grain of salt because it's 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 just trolling. It was just straight up trolling, trying to get people in their feelings. You know what I mean? And just whatever. But what I really loved about it is that people really came out to support John Boyega. The first Star Wars trailer came out. There really was a legitimate pushback against John Boyega. Like, oh, yeah. there, there's no such thing as black stormtroopers. Stormtroopers are not mm-hmm. and XYZ. And I was like, really, guys? Is this, this is the hill you guys want to die on? Okay, that's fine, you know. So. Yeah. I, I It was so problematic seeing that hashtag trend on Twitter because you're right. I think the new trend now is to provoke black Twitter because we are so yes. influential. And yes. I mean... I, I admit I, I'm a part of that when I see somebody say something really offensive and I retweet it or I make comments about it because that's really giving them a lot of attention. But at the same time, I think it's important to hold people's feet to the fire. And yep. then, you know, there's folks like uh, Pierce Morgan who I don't care what anybody says. That mm-hmm. dude is making a um, living off of trolling black Twitter like that's his new yeah. gig. He's no he's not doing the Larry King live thing anymore. Right. No, Lightning. OK, so. He's not doing that gig anymore. So he's like, okay, what is another way I can stay relevant and make money so that way I can sell books and be able to charge people for speaking fees and, you know, be a very relevant presence in the media. I'm going to troll black Twitter. And and he's literally making a living off of doing that now. So, like, that's the thing to do. Tweets are being lifted from online publications. And Mm. there's just a whole lot of commodification of our content that's happening. And it's very it's it's very disconcerting. What are your expectations of Maz Kanata and the other new characters in The Force Awakens? What do you hope to see when you walk into that theater, whether you're going opening night or the weekend? What do you hope to see when you have your Star Wars experience? I'll be I'm going to be very honest. I like I said from before, I'm team Star Trek. Um, <laughs> I, like, I like the first three Star Wars movies that came out. I totally hated episodes one through three. I just was not a fan of it at all and was very underwhelmed. So I'm hoping that Force Awakens will sort of reboot the franchise, so to speak. Um, I like the cast. Um, I'm, again, very excited about John Boyega being in it. I'm so happy they brought back Harrison Ford and um, Carrie Fisher. Um I am, um, I guess my thing for Maz Kanata, I, I, I have the same concern as, as you, um, Jamie, that if they're, if the character is going to be sort of the Yoda mm-hmm. of the franchise, it really does kind of go down to the magical Negro trope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, you know, unless Maz Kanata has, um, I don't know if Maz is a, a boy or a girl, or I don't know what the gender is, but unless Maz Kanata has their, own have their own storyline it's really just serving the purpose of you know the other characters or whatever so you know i'm sure lapita will do the damn thing she's a very talented actress um but again i'm going to keep saying this we need more women of color in the star wars franchise we just do yeah um uh maz i i want to say that um i'm disappointed uh when they said that this was going to be her um you know, but as far as the rest of the film is concerned, I think that J.J. Abrams has his entire career has let us all know that he is a total fanboy of Spielberg and Lucas. And this was the film he was born to direct. 
Mm. And I think that he wants to show the world that he can out Lucas Lucas. Mm. And he's going to. I, I'm telling you, this film is going to surprise us all. And I want to yeah. say this. I think that, you know, that there are several other black stormtroopers and one of them being a, a female. And mm. I, I'm very I'm, I've been very interested about that. And so I can't wait to see. And, and I'm reading the Shattered Empire um, comic book. And I'm I'm seeing where it is actually the journey to Force Awakens. And it's not, it actually takes place a few days after the fall of Endor. So I'm kind of understanding what this film could be about as far as like why Boyega and these people are stormtroopers. And, and can I just give my theory real quick? Mm-hmm. I think yeah. it's going to tell us very subversively how blacks are put into military service. Huh. Okay. Yeah, I could buy that. And if that's the if that's gonna be very masterfully done, hats off to him. And this is the type of thinking I think that he's thought about, and that's why he's made some of the comments he's made. Because as soon as it comes out, we're gonna be like, oh my goodness! Oh! <laughs> and as long as Maz ain't walking around talking, jab talking, shucking and jabbing like Jaja Binks, yeah. Then I'm good. I don't. I think he's. I think he's going to do right uh, by the franchise. I think John is is going to be catapulted to a list status, and I think that Lupita doing this. Um, unless for me, I want to take it that she's going to show she can act through anything. That she is the baddest B. In cinema, like, and I think that she's I'm like, this what you're giving me? Watch me work this. No, no, watch mama go to work. Huh. Watch, <laughs> watch mama go to work. I think she's gonna put up numbers in this performance. Yeah, I think she's. I think like how Andy, they want to give Andy an Oscar for his work. Right. I think, I think she can pull that off. Yeah. Yeah. So Absolutely. I'm excited. I'm. I. I am excited. So, you know, uh, yeah, just overall, I, I say that there's a, a high level of excitement. I'm excited as well. I think that all of the characters are going to be some of the most iconic characters of our time. I really hope that Maz Kanata is going to be um, just as iconic as Yoda if she is, in fact, going to be a Yoda-like character. I hope that she's not just reduced to a magical Negro stereotype or trope, but that she has a lot more agency and that she's an independent character of her own. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, guys, those that are listening to all of us ranting about the movie, you can be a critic of a movie and you can still be a fan at the same time. Yep. It's OK. <laughs> <laughs> it's OK to point out the shortcomings of a movie or the casting or the direction and still be like, oh, my God, this is going to be the best movie of all time. I'm still a huge fan. So I just want to throw that out there because people are so quick to dismiss critics um, analysis of films and, and just pop culture in general, just because your opinion is in opposition with theirs. So right. no, I yeah, like yeah. everything I said about fantastic Four and Ant man, I stand by my statements. <laughs> I stand on top of them claims. <laughs> Black, baby. Yeah. And I mean, just a reminder too. my last thought is that, you know, people, here's the thing. 
Hollywood cannot be trusted. Hollywood is like that naughty little <laughs> child where as far as the fight for diversity and inclusion, the, the gains we've made is because a closed mouth is just not fed. Mm-hmm. If we didn't make noise before, we wouldn't even be getting the things that we have right now. You know right. what I mean? So we have to keep pushing. We can't just sit back on our laurels and just be like, oh, they put John Boyega in the movie. So we're all good. No. Right. Like, yeah, we got to stay on them. Yep. Continue to fight the good fight. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, The Revolution, uh, yes. for coming on and, and, and chatting all things Star Wars for us. And uh, look forward to seeing Episode 7, The Force Awakens, coming Woo-hoo! up next month. Got my ticket. Hope you got yours. Oh, shoot. I got to get mine. My- <laughs> <laughs> oh, my of interviewing Ryan Coogler, director of the film Creed. Creed is the new movie by Warner Brothers that's due out for release on November 25th, and it's the story of Adonis Johnson Creed, who is the son of the famed and late Apollo Creed that we all remember from the Rocky movies, played by Carl Weathers. So in the story, Adonis Johnson Creed wants to fight under the title Adonis Johnson and not under the shadow of his father, Apollo Creed. Ryan Coogler is also best known for his work on Fruitvale Station, also starring Michael B. Jordan. So take a listen to the interview and enjoy. All right. So my first question, um, Adonis Creed is such a fully fleshed character, um, completely nuanced. And it was so much more than just seeing him as the stereotypical troubled black youth. So um, how did you come up with the character development for Adonis Creed? Yes, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, this, 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 this movie. Well, I mean, what it was, what it was for me, um, it's a story that's very personal, um, and 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 it came from my relationship with my father, you know, um, and uh, you know, I don't know how, how, how familiar you are with this, but 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 my dad was my dad was a uh, was a big Rocky fan. He he got into watching the movies because he watched them with his mom, and his mom had a real, real drawn out battle with breast cancer. You know, for most of his life, she was uh, she she battled the disease. She succumbed to it when she was uh, when my dad was 18, but um during the last few months of her life she was bedridden, and uh, my dad the only thing they could do together was watch television, you know, uh, and what was on TV all the time was Rocky too. So so I grew up, you know, always knowing about Rocky. I would always watch it with my dad. He was always, he would always had a, 
the same emotional reactions to the to, to, to the film, you know. And my dad was really strong and, and, and really, you know, uh, really tough guy. But he would always cry when he watched these movies, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and when I was finishing up film school, getting ready to make Fruitville, my dad got really sick. He was battling a, um, a, neuro, a neuromuscular condition that was, was going, you know, undiagnosed for a long time. And, and, uh, and, and you know, he was losing his strength. Uh, you know, me and my brothers had to help him, help him get around. Uh, and, and, and it was really, uh, it was really sad, and, 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 you know, it was devastating for me to see my dad like that, and, and, uh, out of that, out of that feeling, uh, and the questions that I was, that I was, that, that, that kind of arose about our relationship, I came up with the idea for this movie, you know, um, and, and, and basically this movie was about seeing his hero, you know, uh, go through something similar, uh, and, and, and I kind of had to invent a character who, who could, who could be kind of my surrogate in that relationship, you know what I mean? And that's where the idea of Adonis came from. So, so in many ways, you know, um, I kind of approached this movie with, with, with the questions of, of, you know, what does it mean to be a man? You know, um, how, what would I be like if I didn't have my dad? You know, um, mm-hmm. and, and how would that, you know, how would that affect me? You know, and just just kind of approaching that question, you know, and putting it in the context of this of this, of this universe, you know, it's kind of how, how, how we crafted, you know, who Adonis was. You know, um, and, and it was a you know it was a team effort, man. You know, I came up with the story myself and wrote the treatment. You know, but I wrote the script with my buddy Aaron Covington, who I went to film school with. And then, um, and, you know, Michael. You know, once you know once we were once we were rolling, you know, Michael had a lot to say in, in, in who Adonis was and, and, and how we could you know how we could bring him to life. You know, um, and Sly as well. You know, uh, and it was a, it was a process that we were con- we were constantly trying to refine. You know, um, to, to 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 make him to make him unique. You know, we wanted we wanted this character to be unique, not just for 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 a black a black man, and not just for a black hero, which is kind of you know it's kind of the story has a mythological element to it. Right. You know, that, that the Rocky films kind of have, these boxing films kind of have. You know, but also for for a boxing character. You know what I mean? We wanted the dance to feel to feel, to feel kind of you know we wanted to, we wanted we wanted him to feel new and fresh. How much insight did because you just mentioned that Michael B. Jordan also played an active role in um, developing the character of Adonis Creed. How much was he involved in um, in making the project? Um, was it something that was done before filming or during filming? Uh, you, you mean like um, in terms of, in terms of character development? Yes. Oh, it was something that goes on constantly. You know what I mean? It goes on. It goes on as soon as the you know with, with me. I like to approach movies from, from from the characters first. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and so, so it's happening from, from the inception of the project and then all the way up to the time that we're shooting it, all the way through through editing, you know what I mean? We're constantly trying to, you know, really really get to the bottom of, of uh, you know, chip away at, 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 at who this person is and what he wants, you know, um, and, and, and uh, you know, and with the Donnest, this, 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 this question, this idea of, of, of identity is, is constantly at the, at, the, at, the, at the helm of it. I mean, if you watch the film, you'll notice that, um, a, a, a motif in the movie is his name. Everybody calls him something different. Mm. You know, he doesn't really have one name. He, he, he's Adonis to some people. He's Donnie to others. Mm. Uh, he's, he's Baby Creed to others. He's Johnson to others. You know what I mean? He doesn't really, you know, it's something that we play with in that, um, you know, he's kind of like a man with no name, you know, uh, who, mm. who's, 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 who's trying to, who's trying to, who's trying to make his own way, uh, you know, and, and, and through that process, find out, you know, find out who he is. And I think it says something about what it's like when you, you know, when you, when you, when you grow up without your father, you know. <clears throat> wow. You've worked with Michael B. Jordan before in your film, Fruitvale Station, which I loved. Amazing film. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're just hit, coming out with hit after hit. Um, oh, man. <laughs> did you um, have Jordan in mind when you created Creed? And what do you like the most about working with him? 
Oh yeah, we, I had Jordan in mind for sure because I, when I came up with the idea, like I said, we were in, we were we were basically in um, in development on Fruitville. Uh, so, so I was already working with him and, and going through the casting process, and we were having a chance to, you know, dig into the script together and, 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 and dig into, you know, character development for Oscar Grant. And just that, just just in that short time period, I realized that he was a guy who I would love to work with again. And I kind of got a respect for, for how talented he was, you know. So, when, so when this when this idea kind of came up, you know, obviously he was he was my number one pick, you know, um, you know, you know, pretty much immediately. Uh, and, 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 I, and I think, you know, why you see. Why you see uh, a lot of times, you know, um, you see actors and, and, and filmmakers, you know, work together uh, as much as they can, is because you develop a shorthand, you know, and, and, a, and a comfort uh, with each other that comes with, you know, working together so much, you know, um, that I think that I think not only not only helps helps you guys' working relationship, but it also puts everybody else on the set at ease as well, you know, um, when 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 they see uh, 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 you know actor actor and, 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 and director getting along well, you know what I mean? It kind of it kind of Encourage everybody else to be comfortable and in, 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 in the feel, you know, in the feel supported, you know, um, and and uh, and, and Mike's chemistry with, with uh, the other actors in the film, you know, a lot of more non-actors. Like every fighter that you saw him fight against was, a, you know, never acted before. Right, they like were, Pretty were, Ricky. Pretty, yeah, yeah. Never, 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 never acted before. You know, just just a full-time, full-time boxer. You know, um, and uh, and Gabriel Rosado, who played the character Sperino, who has that first fight in Philadelphia. Um, uh, that that Adonis has a fight, you know, it's a real, real deal fighter, really from Philadelphia, you know, all those guys he swaps punches with. So, so, um, so Mike has the chemistry to make those guys feel comfortable, even though they're doing something that they've never done before, you know. Um, and then he gets with 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 uh with with actors like you know Tessa Thompson, who's his, who's his peer, and, and and um actors like Felicia Rashad and, and Sylvester Stallone, who are who are you know um been doing it for for more for many more decades than he has, you know. Um, and and, and still makes them feel comfortable and. and, and and they bring the best out on each other. So, I mean, he's a real special, he's a real special talent. The fight sequences were phenomenal, and it really oh, felt like you were in the ring. Some of the most, the highlights for me in the movie was the fight choreography. It, it was the most impressive I've seen in a long time. Oh, thank you. Tell us, how important was it for you to provide us a point of view from Creed's point of view inside of the ring um, when you were directing those moments when he was fighting? <sighs> Yeah, I, I, I would say it was extremely important because, because, um, for, for, for for many reasons, but 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 the, the the biggest one was um, you know, boxing boxing is something that's very that's very interesting to me, and, and what and what Adonis is looking for in the film, you know, uh, not, not only he's look, not only he's looking for his own identity, but he's looking for 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 a support system, you know, um, somebody who kind of who will kind of take him as he is, uh, and, and he finds that, you know, pretty much halfway through the movie in Rocky, you know. But but the, the crazy part about boxing is that through the nature of the sport, your support system has to leave you when you have to do your work. You know what I mean? You get into this ring and you're left alone. You're left completely alone. And the only other person in that ring besides the referee is this other dude who's trying to kill you. You know what I mean? Like, right. Like literally. You know. So 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 I really wanted to capture um, capture what that feels like to to to, to be to to be uh, to be in a, in a box. With, with with another athlete who's so dangerous, you know, um, and, and is just as driven as, as you are, you know, uh, uh, and, and 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 with that, you know, with keeping that in mind, you know, especially the, the first fight in Philadelphia, where it's his first time, 
you know, having having Rocky as a trainer, you know, we really wanted to capture what that feels like to, to have to go away from to have to go away from your support system and you can hear them, you know what I mean? But but you really ain't on your own until, you know, that, that round break when they when they come when they actually come back and they can they can be with you for a few seconds, you know what I mean? And then you gotta go off on your own again. You know, um so so that was that was kinda something that we that we use for, for motivation. Um, in terms of in terms of the coverage, and then for the choreography, you know, we were really interested in this idea of, uh, you know, how 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 you know how 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 much like small 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 spaces uh, can make such a big difference in boxing. You know what I mean? Oftentimes when these guys slip slip punches, you know, they slip a punch by an inch. You know what I mean, or a fraction of an inch, and that could be the difference between you know not getting hit or getting knocked out. Mm-hmm. You know, and and the, and I did these punches are always coming. You know, and it's like a chess match. So so we really wanted to capture that. Um, with our with our with our core with our choreography, um, you know, and we work. You know, you know the guys worked tirelessly at that. Man, we were able to get a get a really great stunt coordinator named Clayton Barber, who uh, who, who was a fighter himself. He was a Taekwondo fighter on the U.S. Olympic team. Oh wow! Um, and we worked we worked really closely together. We had Sly, who who did the choreography for all the Rocky movies that he had, he had directed. You know what I mean? As a support system, who was there, and he was Sly was very encouraging of us to make it our own. You know, um, and uh, so so it was a really it was a really great. Really great, really great, uh, really great way for us to try to do something fresh. What do you hope audiences will walk away with after they see Creed? I, mean, I, I, I hope that it's something they, that, that they find their own. They see them all, their own selves in it. You know, the same way that my dad sees, you know, his relationship with his mom and his relationship, you know, and sees his life in the characters. You know what I mean? And, and it, it was something that he wanted to share with, with, with me when I was too when I was too young to even know what was going on. So I hope that people people take a sense of ownership over you know over this film the way that, that uh the way that the, the way that uh the way that they have in, uh, over films like this before. Um, and I hope that that, that that young folks embrace it, you know, because it's, it's definitely a movie from from from, from the millennial perspective, you know. Um, so that's so those are my biggest hopes, I think. Thank you. Oh, and women too, man. I hope I hope, I hope women connect with it, you know. Um, uh, it's, that's one thing I didn't say to you. It's so encouraging that you that, that you know that you liked it, you know. Um, because that was something that was very, you know, that was very, that was very important to me, you know, uh, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's so many, um, you know, it's, it's so many, it's so many dynamic, dynamic women, you know, the characters in this, in this movie, uh, and, and, and Adonis is kind of, you know, it's very much shaped by the women in his life, you know, um, so, so that was another thing too. I had a contributor from Black Girl Nerds with me watch the the press screening last night, and we were both really just impressed with Tessa Thompson's character that. This yeah. is a woman that has her own agency. She's independent. She's not relying right. on a man to, you know, help her see the ways of the world. Like she's her own right. independent person. Right. And we really read into that when watching that film. So I just want to say thank you for developing um, such a nuanced female character as well as uh, the male character of Adonis. Oh, thank you so much. I mean, it's a world, man. Tess is an incredible actress. Um, I mean, she was able to she was able to stand toe to toe with Michael and, and Sly, you know, no problem. Um, and, and, and her character was, uh, you know, her character extremely dynamic and and, 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 and interesting. You know what I mean? Um, you know, uh, when we meet when we meet, you know, when we meet our character. She's a, uh, you know, she's she's a hearing woman, but um, but, but she's dealing with uh, she's dealing with the early, er, you know, the early stages of early stages of progressive hearing loss. You know, which is something that um that that, that we found um, we found interesting. It came from a personal relationship with mine. My fiance being a sign language interpreter, um, very entrenched in the, in the deaf community in the Bay Area, you know. Um, so, so she was able to, you know, she was able to handle so many things as well as, you know, as well as having, you know, a woman who was career oriented, 
in terms of telling the story from a millennial perspective. You know, that's how relationships look in this day and age. You know, you oftentimes will see women more career oriented than, than, than the men in a relationship. You know what I mean? And, what, and, and, and dealing with what that means. You know, so, uh, so so those are all things I was incredibly grateful um, um, for, for, for having Tessa. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ryan. I appreciate you taking the time out of your super oh, busy you. schedule to talk to me. Oh, no, absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, I would just say for the, the black male fans of Star Wars, I understand you love your property. I understand you want to go to your little, bring your little lightsabers to the opening night. And nobody's saying that you shouldn't enjoy Star Wars. I plan on going to see Star Wars. But I am saying that these critiques are valid. A 38-year-old franchise still has no women of color represented in lead roles. That's a problem. That is a huge problem. And people cannot sweep it under the under the rug. Uh, Rebecca? I'm, yeah. I'm gonna need you to take a little bass out your voice when you say 38. Like I just, <laughs> I'm feeling, I'm just feeling some kind of way when you just bang the gavel at 38. Like I, I say, like for it's almost like four decades. And okay, I get it. I get it. It's almost 40. Okay. It's 40. <laughs> it's all the film is almost 40. Okay. So we have to keep talking about it, Rebecca. Not all great properties. You know, that just come out in 1977, just, they hold up so well, okay? It's, it's okay to be 38 years old, okay? 